We're uh, fine now. Everything's we're, we're fine, fine. here. How are you? Everything's fine. How are you? <laughs> What's your operating yeah. number? Uh, you know, <laughs> boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to have company. <laughs> Welcome to episode 30 of the Movie Bite Podcast, a weekly show where we discuss, praise, lament, or lampoon movies, TV shows, and more. Today is Wednesday, February 6, 2013. I'm your host, TJ, and I'm joined by my co-host, Master Jedi, Joe Darnell. Hello, everybody. All right, so news and side items for today. We are starting off with the subject matter of TJ's review for Warm Bodies. The new movie that seems to be taking the box office by a very small storm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of no wonder because there's not really a lot of good in the box office, which is why we're not even paying much attention to uh, to what's going on at the box office right now. Yes, uh, but, which we have elaborated on it to a great extent. But yeah, it's a warm bodies. You saw it this past weekend anyway. And what motivated you to, do to go see this film after all? I mean, we kind of talked about actually kind of ignoring it right at one point. Uh, I, well, I think we talked about just not paying it much mind, but I mean, it was a new new film in theaters, and uh, my wife was available, and it's not a film that I wanted to go see without my wife. I mean, a guy walks into the movie theater for that one, it's just a little bit strange, at least to me. I mean, maybe I overthink these things, but uh, it wasn't too bad going with my wife, and hmm. we both kind of felt the same way about it. It was not a great film, so... Well, I think you are think- overthinking it a little bit there, but now that you mention it, I think I might try to grab my sister to go along with me. Um, see, you're, oh, you're going to see Warm Bodies too? Yeah, I have to know whether or not I agree with your assessment, dude, because you seem pretty hard on this film. And I, I think I think that it's totally warranted if that's your honest to goodness opinion, and I'm sure it's true. But I just got to know it for myself because I was really looking forward to the film. And I think the trailer is kind of cool. And then when I saw the response of Rotten Tomatoes, it made me think that perhaps my leanings are to agree with the audience this time around in general. That uh, Rotten Tomatoes is giving it a, what, like 80-something percentile? Uh, uh, let's see. What did I say? Yeah, it is. It's 83%. When I wrote, the, when I wrote my review, it was 83%, yes. It's gone, well, okay, it's 78 for the critics and 83 for the audience. Yeah, so I'm not saying that I generally agree with audiences, but oftentimes when I look at my personal opinion on movies on Rotten Tomatoes, I find that I'm fairly close to the audience's rating. And I just got to know what it is that the critics see in this film, because after all of their, um, you know, after the hard time that critics gave to the Twilight films. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, especially I, I, Ebert. I'm really floored by this. Yeah. And, and my wife and I both thought, well, it doesn't seem that much different in some ways from Twilight. I think maybe the difference is it doesn't take itself as seriously. No, There's no doubt about that. Where Twilight tends to take itself very seriously, and Twilight fans take Twilight very seriously. And I, you know, enjoy Twilight for what it is, as I've said before on the podcast, but I, uh, I don't think it's anything super special. And, uh, I I didn't see this as that much different. Uh, obviously, actually worse. Uh, although I don't know if I'd rate it worse than the first Twilight film. The first Twilight film was pretty horrendous. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Ebert uh, also, as I noted in my review, I went I as after I saw all these critics rating it so highly and raving about it, I thought well, I'll go to Ebert and see what a good lampooning for this film looks like, and <laughs> I, he he loved it. He rated it three and a half of four stars and was gushing about the thing. I'm like, uh, what What in the world? I, I don't understand. Three and a half out of four is pretty high, my friend. Yeah. It's the mean, same rating he gave to uh, Star Wars, which we're reviewing in a few moments. 
Yeah, so I I was kind of flabbergasted. I mean, because he's known for speaking his mind, of course, about films as, as a film critic, as he's wont to do. So, uh, yeah, that, it's just a little bit strange to me. I, I don't quite understand. What do you, What do you think of zombie stuff in in general? Do you? Uh, care? Nah, not really. <laughs> you know, I've, I've kind of come around a little bit to uh, vampire stuff. I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of Buffy. I, I should say some vampire stuff. I'm a huge fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, late 90s, early 2000s TV show, and especially of the spinoff Angel. And as I said, I've you know, the Twilight has been somewhat interesting to me. But by and large, I, I think I've never been impressed by zombie stuff. So, uh and this isn't necessarily your typical zombie fare either. Um, but, right. you know, I, right. I, that's my reason also for being interested because the trailer kind of sold me on the comedic element. And then the thing is, I pretty much you know, avoid zombie stuff in general too. So I, I'm wondering just how well it would maybe sort of kind of perhaps work for me. So well, I'm, I'm guessing that you'll just be a contrarian and, and you'll like it just because I don't. So sure, I will. I I rated I rated the film two of five stars. Our system, unlike Ebert's, is a five star system. So two of five. Fair enough. I mean, that's just saying that you mildly disliked it more than you than you liked it. So. Right. It's just under my neutral scale, my my neutral rating. So what did your wife think? Uh, I think she would have rated it lower than me. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. She wasn't impressed at all. <laughs> well, interesting. Okay, so next up, we have a little other extra side item, this, because we are talking about Star Wars today. Yeah, this you is wanna, just something I... Describe? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was just going to ask you, can you talk about it? Well, yeah, because this is something I threw in the, into our outline, uh, just because I knew we were talking about Star Wars, and I happened to see somebody link to it on Twitter. Here's the R2-D2 translator. And it's just, I, I have no idea if there's some sort of system to this, or if there's an actual uh, language thing that, that uh, R2 says, certain, you know, makes certain sounds to mean certain things. I've never looked at it or studied that. And, uh, you know, a lot of authors and writers and stuff do do that sort of thing for their you know, like Tolkien is, of course, is famous for that. Uh, so I don't know if that's what this is or if this just spits out random stuff. But you you put in, um, you know, like when you bring it up, it has pizza in there by default. And you hit translate and it'll spit out uh, something in R2-D2 language. <laughs> it's it's pretty... <laughs> hey, uh, should I guess we try you call it here it, on the episode? I bet if I, pl- if I tell it to translate something that the people can hear it. Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't think we're hooked up for that, but go oh, ahead. Well, yeah, here, here's a recommendation from Yoda... On the website, it says your psychic abilities. You got to type it in, right? So that's what I'm doing here. You must test. Okay, so this is what I'm going to have R2D2 say. I'm going to turn around the microphone so that people can hear it better. Okay. Here we go. Yeah, and that is saying your psychic abilities you must test. And I we didn't we didn't hear it. I didn't hear it. What really? Yeah. Ah, oh, drat. Okay, you, we'll you, have to. I'll I'll we'll, put I'll, I'll put some in in post. I'm sorry for those of you listening live. There are a couple of you, and I'm sorry you don't get to hear it. I'll put some in in post. So I'm I'm dropping a marker in Logic Pro right now. Thanks, man. So yeah, that, it, it's it's. I suppose you'd call it cute. It's it's just it's kind of funny. And I thought, you know, since we're talking about Star Wars here in a little bit, I'll just throw that in the show notes. So, 
Uh, there you go. And that, that link will also be in the show notes for you to check out. <laughs> okay, so then uh, next up we have the Skyfall Honest trailer. This came out uh, this past week, I guess? Uh, yeah, what, did, what day did that come out? I think that was yesterday, actually. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, you know, Honest Trailer, I've noticed that they tend to release their trailers after the films are out for home entertainment. Yes. Makes okay. sense. Yeah. So that they can get a hold of as many clips from the film that they want. And this is a pretty decent one as well. It's uh, good in their lineup. What did you think? <laughs> I, I enjoyed it a lot. Even though I liked Skyfall, uh, honestly, it's a three and a half. I think I rated it three and a half stars. Uh, I believe that's what I rated it. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me. I liked it well enough, but this trailer hits so many of the points and you're like, um, yeah, exactly. You know? (laughs) Yeah. And I agree with it a lot because ultimately I didn't care much for the film as a, as a bond film even. Uh, so you know, I'm, I'm hit or miss, you know, in like with some bond films and I just didn't think that this would not quite cut it. Uh, my favorite is still of um, the Daniel Craig Bond films is uh, Casino Royale for sure. Yeah, it was a boring film. I like this one better than that for sure. <sighs> mm. I, I yeah, feel like it, Casino Royale is second to this one. Like Quantum of Solace was like the low low point, I, I believe. If I'm remembering my films right, and I've only watched them all recently, but yeah, I, I, the Honest trailer is quite hilarious. You know, they they elaborate a bit on the story, and so they make some points along the way. They're being a little sarcastic along the way, too, but I have to agree with most of their assessment. Like when they say, the super-secret MI6 agent, who everyone knows by his real name. You know, Bond. James Bond. Mr. Bond. And they go through all the clips where everybody knows who James Bond is. It it is pretty funny. (laughs) Yeah, and supposedly he's a secret agent. But it's just annoying, right, that in this film they uncover his personal background and his real name is James Bond. It's things like that, that, you know, uh, the honest trailer picks up on and they, they make good fun of. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. It's definitely funny. Um, I, I, I also put in here, uh, one of my favorite quotes from the trailer and an ending so goofy, they just ripped it off from home alone. And that, that is, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that. That is so true. And they even cut in clips from home alone. <laughs> Yeah, the whole action sequence at the end at yes. uh, James Bond's house when he grew up, where he grew up. It is, uh, except that this this time around he has uh, two compadres to help him. So it's a little different from Home Alone in that. And they're not kids. But those yeah, are minor but it's, details. Yeah, it's still pretty reminiscent once you start cutting the scenes together. You're like, wow. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it cause uh, hasn't kind of spliced it together. It actually feels like they, one goes right into the other it's whoa <laughs> you're right yeah it's it's pretty funny so check it out the honest trailer for uh skyfall pretty fun all right uh you uh put in here house of cards and this is actually something uh that we talked a little bit about on in the queue uh that i recorded yesterday I don't, i'm sorry i don't know if that's live yet that's all not my network i just i do the show with alex i don't know if he's gone live with that yet uh but check it out uh pretty quickly uh slash itq but uh this is a great uh I didn't expect to like House of Cards, and and you have to be warned. It, it's very adult oriented, um, <laughs> very adult entertainment. Um, you know, a few f bombs, uh, a little bit of uh, questionable dress, and that sort of thing. But uh, I I didn't expect to like this TV show on Netflix, and I'm actually kind of enjoying it. So, how many um, episodes have you watched? I think I'm on episode four. Or I think I'm ready to start episode five tonight. If I oh. get around to watching something tonight. Yeah, same here. Uh, I'll, I'll be watching episode three. Okay. I watched the first two last night with my wife, 
and we we enjoyed it. I mean, it's uh, you know why you're watching it, of course, is for Kevin Spacey's awesome performance. Well, yes, there's that. There's two reasons why I'm watching it. Now, well, the reason why I started watching it at all, I mean, it's not the sort of show that I would have watched. Had it, had I just heard about it or had it been on TV or whatever, it's not something that I would have just, oh, I, I want to watch a political thriller. No, not, not in the least. But I thought, you know, I want to show my support for this model of Netflix doing original content and releasing it to on demand right away. This is the model that I want going to the future. So let, let I'm going to register with Netflix that I've at least watched the first episode. And though it's a little slow moving and yes, it's a political thriller. It's it's actually quite interesting and, and and obviously with Kevin Spacey the performance is fantastic. Uh, another another tidbit, I'm pretty sure uh, we're probably all Princess Bride fans here, and if you're not, shame on you. But Robin Wright uh, is in this uh, TV show, and she was Buttercup in the Princess Bride. Wait a minute, you didn't know this, did oh you? Oh my goodness! Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Ooh, she plays an evil woman. Well, well, watch a few more episodes. I don't know if I'd call her evil. I I mean, I don't think you're supposed to necessarily like anybody here. I kind of think maybe the whole point of the show is just to show how uh, messed up politics are. (laughs) But, um, yeah. It's uh, it's not an entirely, you know, uh, what do you call it, fair and balanced assessment. That's for sure, though. It's very clear that they're dwelling on the, uh, the characters that are perhaps the most corrupt up there in Washington. Yes, and, yeah, for sure. But uh, at the same time, they make it fairly engaging. You're right. The storytelling is pretty slick. Yeah, and I'm going to be interested to see where they're going with this because they've also started humanizing our characters as well. You don't quite get that in the pilot, but as you continue on, the characters definitely have human elements and human moments that I wasn't quite expecting. Now, uh, are you trying to watch them all rapido, or are you going to well, out? I think like the first night I watched two episodes, and thereafter, I've, when I've had time, I've watched one episode uh, in a given night. Okay. Uh, and that's something that we can talk about, too. Uh, and we talked a little bit more about that on, on the queue as well, so tune into that. But we'll mention it here briefly, which is um, the, the, the idea that Netflix has released the, basically the entire season in one go. Like, you sit out. I mean, if you wanted to, you can binge watch it and be done in uh, what a little less than 13 hours. Uh, probably more like uh, t- 10 hours, whatever it is. So that that's an interesting model to me, and I don't think I like it. And I, and I don't think I'm coming from a perspective of being, you know, oh, I'm tied to the old model. I mean, that's obviously not it. I'm ready for the new model. But uh, I think by releasing all the episodes at once, you kind of lose a rhythm and a conversation where, y- you know, you think back to TV shows like Lost and, and or just any big hit TV show, even Fringe, who I have friends that I watch, friends that I watched Fringe with, and it would come out every <laughs> week. And you, you have this conversation, oh, the last episode, oh, man, look at that, you know, and, and you talk about it, and then it kind of dies down, and then the next episode comes up, and you talk about it. And, and, you know, so there's kind of a rhythm to it where this is, you don't even know who, like, you've only watched two episodes, I've watched four, so we're not, uh, you know what I'm saying? We're not up to the same speed, we're not kind of watching it on the same rhythm. I kind of, I think I'm going to kind of miss that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, this is uh, a worthy experiment, but I wish that, I, that uh, we could see a little bit more of a rhythm to it. What do you think? I agree. I, I, I'm not too nitpicky about a TV show's um, details, so long as on the whole it's entertaining. Um, TV shows for me are somewhat um, 
uh, throwaway. You know, they're, they're one-time joys. It's very rare that I want to watch it multiple times. So mm. I, I'm just, I'm just getting a, a, the pleasure out of watching, watching it the first time through and in, appreciating it once. That's, that's about it. You and, and I are so, very different when it yes, comes to TV right. shows. Well, you also watch a lot of films repeatedly and you have a lot of movies in your personal movie collection, right? Yeah, I mean, I'll, there's, there are certain uh, TV shows and there are certain movies. Let me start with movies. There are certain movies that I try to watch. I don't know. I, I don't like have it on the calendar, but it's like, oh, I haven't watched that one in about a year. That's a good film. Let me watch it again. <laughs> yeah, I probably have in the neighborhood of 100 DVDs and I practically never watch them. And it's not because I don't want to. It's just that there's always something else new to get my attention. Mm. So um, the tyranny of the news getting in the way of the timeless I think so. I'm finding that more with Movie Bite for sure. Uh, now that I'm doing Movie Bite and we have to watch something every week, um, I think, and, and, you know, I'm going to the theater a lot more. I think that that's certainly true now, although there are certain films that I will just want to watch, like The Avengers. I'm going to probably watch that once a year. <laughs> um, you know, and then go on as far as TV shows go, uh, there are certain TV shows that I, um, I have to watch once in a while. Like I just had the other day, I realized it's been over a year since I've watched any Stargate TV show. And I'm like, man, I, I got to go back to Stargate. I haven't seen Stargate in a while. Stargate is, is one of my favorite. I think it has displaced Star Trek as my favorite all around TV show, Stargate SG one and Stargate Atlantis. Oh, so I didn't know that about you. Yeah. I mean, I love Star Trek. Don't get me wrong, but I got into Stargate and it, it's pretty phenomenal. If you haven't seen Stargate SG one, you need to. But that's that's you know that's neither here nor there. The point is, I think that Netflix is kind of missing something a little bit with House of Cards and releasing it all at once and 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 kind of missing the rhythm. Like what I wanted to see and what I'd like to see moving forward is series that release weekly, but that are available to on demand Netflix streaming right away. That's that's what I want. So. Anyway, I see you in here in the chat room conversing with Ben. Are you paying attention to me, Joe? Yeah, I'm paying attention. All I'm right. sure that we'll talk more about House of Cards as they develop, and uh, we'll be reporting more about it on the website. You bet. But I wanted to then talk about it now just for our first impressions because it is it is very unusual. We're seeing a turning point, and I'm keeping my eye on it. It just uh, you know this isn't going to be the last ep- uh, oh, you know, yeah. television show from Netflix even even if the other you know networks don't get on the bandwagon uh, give Netflix a few more years I bet you they have a few more in the making oh yeah this is just the tip of the iceberg and and this I, I think especially um uh what are you up to Joe and, and Skype I'm sorry You're uh, I'm me. sorry I added Lindsay our guest tonight just a second ago. Okay, I didn't realize she was joining us tonight. You failed to mention that to me. <laughs> I know. I never mind. Hey, Lindsay, how you doing? Hey. Uh, Scatter. How are y'all? You'll have to forgive me, TJ. There's been a lot going on. Yeah, Lindsay, I I'm happy to have you here. Uh, and I would have done Thank a you. far better introduction. I just did not know you were going to be on tonight. Joe failed <laughs> to let me know because it was we we had thought we were going to have you tonight to talk about the Wrath of Khan, and then we had another guest that we really want who's interested in the Wrath of Khan, and so then we decided to do something else. We weren't sure if we were going to have you, so it's a it's a big thing. <laughs> I'm pretty That's okay. sure I, I like Star Wars today. better than Star Trek, so. Oh, well, you are not allowed to be here then. No, I'm sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> we have, Whatever, we have, dude. Yeah. We have two I more. I do love Star Trek, but Star Wars is better. Okay. Well, welcome, Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay's been on the podcast before, and uh, so 
Uh, we'll, we'll, here she is again. Yeah, here she is again. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a moment. <laughs> we have two more side items before we get to Star Wars. Mm. Uh, and they should be they should be short. The Avengers, oh, wait, Firefly the, style. Yeah, and I know that Lindsay might be able to comment on this as well. Lindsay watched a bunch of Firefly, and she liked the Avengers. Right, Lindsay? Oh, yes. I am a Joss Whedonite. Well, we're going to have to share this link with you real fast. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and copy this and put it into Skype. You go ahead and talk about it, TJ. Okay, so the Avengers, Firefly style, and I put in parentheses in the post, shiny. <laughs> of course, anybody who's watched Firefly will know why I say that. But uh, it's basically the, um, the music of the opening of Firefly. And Which is awesome. Yes, it, it, for, for, for Firefly, it's great. And and then you've got they somebody did a really good job with the editing and even with with duplicating the effect on the text. I mean, I could tell it was a little bit off, but you know the same burning text effect and that sort of thing uh, with all the characters from the Avengers. Uh, and so it, it, I think I noted to you, Joseph, before the show, it was both so right and so wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was pretty. You know, it's cool in its its own way for sure. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Uh, that'll that will be in the show notes uh, as well. So I'll be interested to hear what you think about it, Lindsay. Um, we'll now come, uh, we'll come back to that in a moment because we have one more. And while well, Lindsay watches that, and we have one more link to talk about, and that is uh, some video on demand that's available. Speaking of Skyfall, Skyfall is one of the titles that is now available on demand on iTunes, Vudu, and Amazon Instant. It's not available on Netflix yet. I imagine they have to wait thirty days. I think that's the deal. Uh, also Argo and Flight. So all three of those are good films that you should check out, and uh, those are available on demand. You were going to say something, Joe? Well, I wanted to talk about the Firefly um, spoof. Okay, go ahead. Well, the thing was that back in the day when I watched Firefly, and the first time I saw that opening title sequence, I felt that it was just a little bit, uh, a little bit corny. But at the same time, it was so befitting because, it, you know, more so than Star Wars, this was a... Uh, a space cowboy story, oh, and yeah, so it, it sure. took me a little bit of getting adjusted to the to the uh, twangy music, along with these uh, clips of uh, creative battle scenes in space. But then it just begins to all make sense, even down to the sepia tone. Oh and yeah. So you know, th- this is a awesome tribute to Joss Whedon more than anything else. You know, they could have taken anything that Joss Whedon has done and have uh, Firefly opening titleized it. It's a, it's not just exclusive to the Avengers, and uh, like like Ben noted in the chat room, there are clips in this uh, this the rendition of the titling sequence that are even reminiscent of Firefly's own opening. That the that the action sequences appear in a similar fashion. It was whoever did this really knew what they were doing, and <laughs> they've very closely uh, parodied Joss Whedon. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. What did you I, think? Bet you, I bet you even he would like it, Joss Whedon. Oh, I'm sure. I, I, I get the impression Joss Whedon uh, digs all this stuff. It's fun for him. What did you think, mm-hmm. Lindsay? I loved it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? So. There's a, on a come, sort of unrelated note, there's a video, Edward versus Buffy, or Buffy versus Edward, that puts Buffy the Vampire Slayer against Edward from Twilight. And yeah, it's, I never cared this is for up those. There with that. I never You're cared so for those, but some people love them. Oh, I love them. Huh. I never heard of them. I have to look them up. It's awesome. 
<laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think we're ready to talk about Star Wars. And uh, yes. this is when we should have introduced Lindsay, uh, Joe. <laughs> Hi, Lindsay. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I, I'm trying to look it up back in our messages, TJ. I swear that I told you, but anyway, I, it, I, I can't if find If you it. did, it probably probably got into some sort of conversation. Maybe you told, told yeah. me and I wasn't at my computer and then you texted me several other things. So sure. uh, your hey, apology is accepted. We're all crazy busy. So. <sighs> Uh, uh, well, yeah, this is going to be the first film in a special series for the month of February. And I've been really looking forward to this. We've been planning this for a couple of months now, right? But we only decided this past week what to call this thing. You know, Lindsay, has Joe told you what we're calling this month of February, the series that we're doing? No, but I'm expecting something really awesome. Well, there's, yes. a, there's a lot of alliteration. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Favorite fun futon films for February. Wow. <laughs> In keeping with the theme of favorite fun futon films for February, we are reviewing classics, old and new, that ring true for us at Movie Bite. These are carefully selected from the annals of film, and we wish to respectfully grace them with our reviews as fans. We're not just trying to grace them as critics. We're talking about them because we're kind of geeking out here. And there is a, we could write about any number of favorite films for home viewing that are available during the month of February, but a, a month isn't long enough to hit more than a handful. So we will do the ones that we have time for true respect uh, to, at the expense of appearing as nutty fans for these films. We're going to talk about them a lot during the month of February. And if you aren't nutty about something, then you've never lived. So if you don't care for our geekery, then just go ahead and turn off the podcast and go away. We don't want you. Whoa, 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 whoa. We never tell people to leave our podcast, Joe. What is up with you tonight? I'm feeling opinionated. I guess so. Dear dear listeners, we want you to stay. We love you. Mm. Okay. <laughs> well, so uh, let's get nutty and uh, you know move on with this here show. So we're going to talk about Star Wars. Yeah, now there was Yay. a little bit of debate. Lindsay, when you refer to the original Star Wars, what do you call it? I call it Star Wars, unless I'm trying to differentiate between the other ones. And then I'll say Star Wars, A New Hope, or Star Wars, the first one. Ah, yeah. Ah, okay. It, it, it is sort of confusing, too, though, because, you know, George Lucas had episodes four, five, and six, and then he goes and he makes episodes one, two, and three. So when you say the first Star Wars... What do you mean? It, it it gets a little irritatingly confusing. You know, are you talking about the first Star Wars as an episode one, the first one, or are you talking about which we pretend doesn't exist, or are you talking about the first one that was made, episode four? So it can definitely be confusing. I usually just say the original Star Wars. Uh, yeah, I've noticed, sometimes I've yeah. been known to say the real Star Wars. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> there good. We go. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, when you talk to the man on the street and you say Star Wars, a new hope, he probably doesn't know what you're talking about. And when you say Star Wars episode four, he kind of gets an idea of what you're talking about, but usually he has to think about it for a few seconds. It's kind of annoying because the Empire Strikes Back is probably the most recognizable title and then followed by Return of the Jedi. And then when it comes to the prequels, it seems like nobody pays attention to what their their subtitle is. They pay attention to their number. They pay attention to, well, what number was it? Episode one, episode two, and episode three. Well, and they were sort of strangely titled, too, like The Phantom Menace and uh, <laughs> what, 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 The Phantom Menace. What kind of a t- subtitle is that? And uh, the clone, the, uh, what was it? The Clone War? No, not the Clone Wars. Attack of, uh, the, Attack clones. of the Clones. Well, that was like kind of a not really the point of the film. And and then, you know, the, the third one is probably the most appropriate, appropriately titled Revenge of the Sith. The, uh, just a little bit of trivia. Originally, 
um, Return of the Jedi was supposed to be titled Revenge of the Jedi. Um, Mm -hmm. And Lucas deemed that inappropriate eventually. And uh, that also affected um, the titling of The Wrath of Khan, which was what we were going to talk about tonight before plans changed. Uh, The Wrath of Khan was supposed to be the Revenge of Khan, and they decided that that was too close to the title, the upcoming title, Revenge of the Jedi, and so they changed it to the Wrath of Khan, but then (laughs) then, uh, Revenge of the Jedi changed to the Return of the Jedi, so all kinds of bouncing around with the titles going on. Mm. I think ra- the Wrath of Khan sounds better than the Revenge of Khan, though. Oh, for sure. But, but that gets into a bigger debate. How much of what you associate with it plays into how you feel about the title? Like, uh, right. people have said, people that are old enough have said they distinctly remember not liking the name Star Trek at first, but now they wouldn't have it any other way because it's become so associated. And, you know, I, when you really think about it, Star Trek or even Star Wars, like, huh, what? But it's become associated. So associations play into what how we feel about it. So, uh Boy, this is going to be a long episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I I agree. And when I was young, the way I learned uh, which one it was was to call it A New Hope because I only really got into the movies when the special edition came along. And by then, that's what it was respected as. And I I got confused, to be honest, even between the numbers like four, five, and six because whenever they appeared uh, written down, they were in Roman numerals. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I didn't. Uh, learn them very well when I was a kid so it took me a few more years before I could really keep track of Roman numerals and not to keep them straight I just referred to it as A New Hope I liked that title All right, and I'm a little bit with Joe I'm much older than Joe but I did not see Star Wars until I was almost 17 and um, it was yeah my mom it's weird stuff but anyway uh, I'm the special edition wasn't out but it came out shortly after that the first Star Wars that I ever personally owned was the special edition, so I associate it by A New Hope and whatnot more, too, but probably for that reason. Yeah, I've always, uh, I grew up with Star Wars, and I've always known them by their su- titles and subtitles, like A New Hope and, and Empire Strikes Back. And Joe and I were talking about this before it started, what do, we, what do you call this film? Because when this film first came out... Uh, Lucas did not have enough uh, clout in order to get it titled exactly the way he wanted it, and so it just was Star Wars, and then the title crawled up the screen. I mean, I mean, in the text crawled up the screen, there was no subtitle. It was just Star Wars. Uh, and then subsequently, in subsequent releases, it was Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Before we go any further, what, uh, what versions have you most recently seen? I assume you both watched it recently. Hmm. I did not because I watched The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> <laughs> I am so sorry. But I've seen Star Wars many, many times. Um, and the version that I own is the the, mess, the messed with version. The messed Bummer. with DVD version? Yes. Okay, so, yeah, so the 2000, 2000. 2005 special editions? No, 2004. Oh, 2004. Whatever it is. And Joe, yeah. what about you? Now, that's the same one I watched uh, a couple of nights ago. You guys but the are one I grew, but the well, the one I grew up with was the '97 special edition. I only saw maybe half better. of the '77 cut. Okay, for those who are enterprising individuals and wish to, the uh, some uh, something called the despecialized editions can be found in 720 HD. So it's been sourced as much as possible from HD content, but it is a replication of the original cut. I'm not. 
I repeat, I am not and I do not advocate piracy. I own copies of Star Wars Special Editions, okay? So, but I don't want the Special Editions. I want the theatrical cuts. And so I have and I watched uh, the despecialized Star Wars. That's what Hmm. I watched. That has a lot of influence, though, on your opinion about this film, as we will get into later. But uh, that it, this is something that's kind of sticky, right? I'm writing a written review for this film, and it gets messy when you try to talk about this film in one shot, because part of you is compelled to say, wait a minute, which one authoritatively are we going to deem the film we're reviewing? Are we reviewing the 77 cut or the 97 cut or the 2004 version, which is mildly different from the 97? And then there is the you know 2011 cut, which there, is... Every time Star Wars has been released, or re-released, it or it, it, it's or, changed and gets weirder. Did you see the thing where Return of the Jedi... Uh, they've added Darth Vader's voice uh, as he's carrying the Emperor off, saying "No, no." Did, did yes. you see? That's horrible, and and that's it the sort of thing that horrible. every release of Star Wars gets worse. And so I want the theatrical cut. I'm not, as a rule, opposed to restoring and remastering, and even adding scenes in that were cut from the theatrical release for special editions if it's done right. And Star Wars has never been done right, so I want the theatrical cut. Mm. Understood. And Han, not only did Han shoot first, Greedo didn't shoot. Just saying. He didn't shoot at all? I'm, I'm just saying. No, he didn't. He didn't shoot at all? Okay, well, think about it. Think about the scene. I mean, it's pretty close to the beginning of Star Wars. We can talk about this, right? Um, uh, uh, spoiler alert. Yeah, the spoiler. Oh, come on. This is 1977. <laughs> so, um, sure. You guys are all warned that <laughs> uh, this will be full of spoilers for Star Wars. Okay, so um, yeah, so Han is sitting there talking to Greedo, and he knows that Greedo's going to take him in, right? So why would he even give Greedo the chance to shoot? He pulls his gun out and shoots, and that's the end of it. It doesn't even make any sense, and at point-blank range, if Greedo had shot first, that he wouldn't have hit Han? Come on, that's just retarded. Well, so, I totally agree with that, but even worse is how in the special edition and afterward... Um, Actually, I don't remember. Did the special edition have Han shoot first, or was it the 2004 film? I believe that happened in 1997. Oh, okay. Well, it, with the goof, the real goof goofiness of the whole thing, it's it, oh, it's this horrible. Was that Han even like quickly dodges the laser shot? His head like quickly just you know jerks over to the right, like he could. He was actually trying <laughs> to attempt to dodge the laser blast. What did they CG that? They did. Yeah, and it looks really tacky. <laughs> it's terrible. What do yeah. you, uh, Lindsay? We haven't given you much of a chance to weigh in on this. Um, I didn't even really. This, this is going to be terrible. What I'm no, about to say. no, it's totally um, valid. I mean, I didn't even really notice the discrepancy there. Like, I guess I only saw the untouched version maybe once or twice, so I didn't really know, and I just was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> I think it's he killed the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, it's most consistent with Han's character to shoot first, but at the totally. same time, you know, Lindsay, you read a bunch of the expanded universe fiction, right? Yes. <laughs> she says grudgingly. No, I, I was a deeply obsessed with Star Wars for more than one year of my life, somewhere between <laughs> one and three years of my life. So much so that Literally, if I was not doing something that required thought about something else, I thought about Star Wars. I wrote poetry about Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, it was it Sorry, was I'm laughing with you. <laughs> no, I, 
Yeah. Because you Star wrote Wars poetry too, right, love. TJ? Um, I can honestly say I've never wrote poetry. Oh. I have I have made in my in my teenage years I made attempts to write uh books, novels or not <laughs> not I never got into fan fiction. But I made attempts to write my own thing and it never worked out. So, um, you know. Oh, I, I had a story that I was working on where uh some long-lost daughter of the emperor was like frozen in carbonite and and meets Luke and they get married. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> We're not worried at all. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, Joe? What have you gotten us into? <laughs> all right, so I'm I am the, probably the most uh, normal ad- one here. No, no, most the most advocate uh, for the purism of the theatrical cut. It sounds like mm. yes. So uh, that's me. I'm I'm advocating for the theatrical cut in this case for sure because mm. uh, Lucas is stupid. Okay, well since we're we've already opened up this can of worms, I guess I should probably talk about it now rather than later. Um, I, I have to agree that there are characteristics of each version that I dislike. I dislike the fact that the original version wasn't able to pull off Lucas's vision of several of the visual effects. So it bothers me when I see something like Tatooine with mostly empty city streets when Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke arrive. Because oh, see, I, I have a theory about that, but go ahead. Remind me. Okay. And then there's other things that I find inconsistent. Uh, when the planet blows up, you know, um, when it blows up, it's not a very devastating, huge explosion in space where lots of planet debris is going in all directions. In the original cut, the explosion was far more simplistic, and it just doesn't live up to a planet-sized explosion, which really bothers me. Now, I don't mean to say... I mean, in the other extreme, we have prequels, right? Where George just went and had a heyday and anything he, he, he wanted gets up on the screen to the point that what's up on the screen almost always distracts from the characters and what they're up to. You're paying attention to what's going on in the background. Oh, there was a goofy droid that just shot the other droid. What was up with that? You know, <laughs> uh, you're paying more attention to the ridiculous clutter of special effects. Um, so I, I'm not leaning the, that direction. I really despise the prequels. But I think that he did a good number on most of the additions for the special edition, with the exception mm. of things like Han uh, shooting first. And uh, See, I, jump, yeah. I totally, totally disagree with you. Uh, at least in my 2004 special edition DVDs, I think that all the added CGI and effects look so fake. I, I'm not saying that on the original Star Wars. I think Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi hold their own. The original Star Wars, you're right, had some, uh, even though it was groundbreaking, it was 1977, and it had some issues, uh, particularly blowing up planets. I completely agree. But I don't think the CGI helped it one little bit. I, I think it looked ca- terrible. Terrible. We should probably have a whole discussion about this on a later episode because I don't want to talk about too much about the Empire or Return of the Jedi. Um, but as it relates to just this film, I think every time Lucas added things uh, or took away things, changed things, you have to weigh the pros and cons. And as you know, fans, it, it, we prefer that things just stay one way, right? That that would be ideal. Um, but I don't think all of the I don't completely I don't think- feel that way. Hmm. Like, like, okay. okay, so uh, I'll be interested to hear you weigh in on this too, Lindsay, but it, w- I, I don't mind seeing – like like the uh, the original cut, I, I kind of remember this. It's been a long time, and I uh, 
but the original cut had a lot of matte lines and things that you could see uh, from the green screen and stuff. And in the even in the despecialized editions, because they're sourcing it from as much HD material as possible, you don't see that because it's all been cleaned up. I'm way okay with that. Uh, I'm even okay uh, fixing things up a little bit with CGI if it needs it. But I'm not okay with the CGI looking terrible. I'm not okay with uh, changing the story. And I'm not okay uh, with, with any of that. So, um, now... I, uh, well, let's get Lindsay's opinion on this, too, and then I want to talk about Tatooine. Tatooine. Um, now, I probably didn't notice a lot of the CGI addition. I mean, I did notice, obviously, like the animals that were added in and scenes. And oh, terrible. Extra creatures and stuff. And I have to admit, I loved it. Um, <laughs> I love them, too. Those, especially the creatures like the Dubaks. Awesome. Uh, they look I so just fake. It, was cool. <laughs> it doesn't um, matter. They looked even worse in the original cut. Uh, disclaimer, I also love the never-ending story, and you can't get much faker-looking than that. Well, um, okay, but, but the never-ending story is a completely different beast. It is. <laughs> um, the things that I really loved that were added in was I loved um, the scene with Big Starklighter because I had read, you know, the novelization or whatever, and there was, like, a part where Luke, before Luke left, where they were friends and you kind of knew him, but you never really saw him much in the movie. And so when I they added that little conversation right before the Death Star run. I was like, oh, you know, I get to see Big Starkwater and they really were friends. And, you know, it just made me, I'm retarded. Um, and there was something else that was like that. Mm. So I enjoyed all of those additions, like the scenes that were cut that they kind of put back in. I really loved all that stuff because it was like more Star Wars that I didn't get to see before. And now I get to see it. Yeah. Didn't they say that for the Blu-ray edition, which I have never seen, and they include a moment where um, uh, Luke is putting together the last pieces of his lightsaber on Tatooine? I do think it's a special feature, but uh, yeah. And and again, that's not relevant to Star Wars. You you were scolding me, so I'm going to scold you. Okay. (laughs) But I'm just trying to say that some of those editions made perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm not uh, – <laughs> Ben Johnson in the chat room says this isn't the cut you're looking for. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't have necessarily a problem with adding scenes that were originally cut, and so I might be okay with that. I just think that I'm disinclined to like anything that Lucas does, so uh, – you know, he, he hates his fans and I think that shows. So, uh, now I wanted to get back to something you mentioned, Joseph, about Tatooine, where you said, well, I, I like, you know, because you saw Tatooine as this bustling, busy place. And I, I actually thought that in the prequels, when, when I first saw Tatooine as this bustling, busy place, I thought, this just doesn't make any sense. Tatooine's supposed to be on the outskirts of the outer rim or whatever. And it's not, and, and why is there so many people here? It was always depicted in A New Hope as this horrible, nasty place with, you know, scum of the earth hive of villainy and and what's going on why is it bustling and shiny and uh and then he tried to fix it up with the special editions to make it bustling and shiny there i I just i never did care for that so i disagree with you on that point oh it's a different city entirely most icely was on the side of the tatooine that was more secluded and you know 
just a few fewer people in general. And that was uh, over there on the other side of the planet. You had where Anakin grew up and was raised by Watto. Um, so I, I think it makes perfect sense. It's like it was the capital city of Tatooine. And that's mm-hmm. how I always pictured it as that was as good as it got, right? And it's, even at that, it's a relatively small city with just a very elaborate pod racing track that goes <laughs> in and out of the city and back again, right? So mm-hmm. that, that, that was the way I interpreted that. I, I thought they got away with that. Whatever you say, buddy. Uh, well, hey, look, we we should do a little uh, fairness by the story, right? And and talk about some of the generalities that we normally do. You know, a lot of people, uh, it's, it's possible, right? There's few people left in the world that have never heard about this film before or that they've never seen this film, more likely. I doubt if they're uh, listening to this podcast, but go right ahead. Well, for the sake of, I don't know, future generations. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about some of the statistics, shall we? Yes, we should. The original, I guess, which is what we're supposed to be addressing because we have it here in the notes, um, was released on May 25th, 1977. And it had a budget of $11 million. And uh, the wide opening release weekend, it made $6,806,000. I mean, that's really crazy when you think about it. $11 <sighs> million. A budget of $11 million. That's all. That's all it took to make that film. <laughs> which which is a, i mean you convert it with uh inflation, inflation and stuff and it's going to be a lot bigger than that but still with 11 million dollars what that's weird anyway go ahead <laughs> yeah well it, it had a a soft opening like a a, a small opening weekend and uh when they did that they only made a million dollars but then later they opened it up on a wide release and they got you know almost seven million for opening weekend domestically it raked in four hundred and sixty million nine hundred and ninety eight thousand and seven dollars I don't know where uh, who that person was with that last ticket that cost them seven dollars, but they, <laughs> they there you go. And then the total worldwide was seven hundred and seventy five million three hundred and ninety eight thousand. That, that's again, to date, though, right? That's a worldwide. That's uh, in theaters. But that's, that's not to date per se. Oh, but I mean, like that's what the film has made up till now is what I'm asking. Um, that's a very gray area, you know. I'm not sure about that because there's no way it made. Sp- it, there's no way it made that back in the day. I don't know, man. Let no, me see. no, there's not. There's not. It's not possible. Let's see. Here. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. It's not possible. Films did not get up into the this sort of range until recently. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. It is the domestic lifetime gross is four hundred and sixty million. That's what I thought. So the the lifetime gross worldwide is the yeah the other figure. That's that's what I thought. Just just for clarification. But it's kind of weird, right? What are they counting on? Are they saying every time it came back to theaters, they're 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 adding that to the sum total? I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's just wrong. They should Why? only count the original release. Well, I wish there was numbers somewhere that would talk about that. But uh, yeah. So. But anyway. So I wish they would re-release it in the theater. Well, they you know they have they, they have occasionally. I missed it. What? Um, when is let's see? I, I, it's been when it was in the theater uh, right before Revenge of the Sith. All, all the Star Wars films were in the theater right before Revenge of the Sith came out. Huh. I missed it. The the special versions, of course, the the altered versions. Well, of course. I guess every other edition is just pirated now for the original version. Well, Lucas is trying to claim that the original cuts don't exist anywhere, which is just weird because what film house doesn't preserve the original cuts? So yeah, I don't, I yeah. don't, I don't believe him. 
He's strange. He's very strange. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of hopeful that Disney will, will release the original cuts as some sort of Disney Vault special edition thing at some point. Oh, yeah. Disney's the master of that. Yeah. So. Mm, very good point. You know, while we're talking about the weirdness of, um, you know, uh, George Lucas, it brought to mind what this film won in the Academy Awards and what it was nominated for. Back in 1977, Hollywood must have been a very different place. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. And George Lucas, believe it or not, he was even nominated for the best director for this film. And on the one hand, I can understand it, right? Because the film was incredibly groundbreaking. I don't know what else came out in 1977 that was all that great. Maybe, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally missing something here, but he didn't win the Oscar for best director. Um, Star Wars originally got 11 nominations. And it won, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six of them. So that included best art direction and set direction, or or set decoration, pardon me, best costume design, best Mm -hmm. effects, best visual effects, best film editing, best music and original score. Oh, yeah. Best sound. And it got a special achievement award for Ben Burt for his sound effects. In particular, noted by the Oscars were the creation of alien, creature, and robotic voices. (laughs) I don't know why they happened to single those out versus the other cool machine sound effects like laser blasters and lightsabers. Well, I think think the lightsaber will go down as the most iconic sound effect ever created. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's worth noting that it was um, Ben Burt, I think, with this film that not only created the sound effect for the lightsabers, but also for traditional laser blasters. Yeah. And that's often overlooked. You know, the traditional pew pew sound. That yeah, came from don't, ben don't, Burt don't ever do that again. It didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> we'll have, we're going to have to share a video in the show notes about guys versus girls and uh, their ability to create sound effects. Okay. I have oh, a video I for want that. to see that. Yeah, that's a pretty fun video, a little video. So, um, hey, you want to talk a little bit about the film here, TJ? It's yeah. your opportunity. This okay. is your golden moment. So, uh, New Hope, originally released as Star Wars, a 1977 American ep- epic space opera film written and directed by George Lucas. It is the first film released in the Star Wars film series and is the fourth installment in terms of the series' internal chronology, uh, which we... Uh, Try to deny. <laughs> Produced with a budget of $11 million and released on May 25th, 1977. The film earned $460 million domestically. Da, 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 da. We already talked about that. Surpassing Jaws as the nominal highest grossing film. It remains that way, and it remained that way until surpassed by E.T. in 1982. When adjusted for inflation, it is the second highest grossing film in North America and is the third highest grossing in the world. Among the many awards it received, you talked about that. Um, yeah. So, uh, shall we talk about the storyline? The movie's story follows a group of freedom fighters known as the Rebel Alliance. As they plot to destroy the powerful Death Star space station, a devastating weapon created by the Galactic Empire. This conflict disrupts the isolated life of farm boy Luke Skywalker when he inadvertently acquires the droids carrying the stolen plans to the Death Star. After the Empire begins a cruel and destructive search for the droids, Skywalker decides to accompany Jedi Knight Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, on a daring mission to rescue the owner of the droids, Princess Leia, and save the Rebel Alliance. I wanted so badly to add, Jedi Knight retired Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know what was notable to me about this film? I, I never, for some reason, uh, Star Wars has like always been part of my consciousness, uh, since I can remember, 
And I, mm-hmm. I only recently noted it like a couple of years ago. You know, hey, this film, this first film does not have the, Imper- the Imperial March music in it at all. It's weird. Really? Right? Yeah. John Williams didn't create it until The Empire Strikes Back. The I- huh. most iconic music from the series. It was not created until the second film. Yeah, and in hindsight, it's actually pretty uh, funny to go back and watch A New Hope after you realize this, because you'll be watching the film, right? And now you'll be paying attention to that fact, and many key moments when you think to yourself, that's where the Imperial March belongs, you're going to hear some (laughs) funny little piece of music with flutes in it. You're like, what's all that about? You know, (laughs) where's the music? Yeah, I think that, uh, we've discussed this before, I'm not a huge fan of John Williams, but I think that his his themes, his overall themes work well. I think his overall themes work well, and I think here, they did okay, but I think, I still think that Williams' best work is The Empire Strikes Back. I don't think some of the music he created here worked all that well. Blasphemy. Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) Tell us, tell us. Oh, (laughs) the Force theme is like my favorite of all of the themes throughout all of Star Wars, I was like, the first time I heard that, it just pierced my very heart. <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. It was like, I listen to it now, and I can like get tears in my eyes. It's the most oh, awesome. And I love the main theme, too. Oh, of course. I love all of it. The main theme is like the most iconic. I, I guess I misspoke when I said the Imperial March is the most iconic. It's the second most iconic. Like everybody knows what the Imperial March is. Main theme, obviously, everybody knows what that is too. Um, y- you know, uh, uh, the, obviously Luke's theme is, is also very iconic, and that was created here in this film. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I but I'm a I'm a John Williams diehard. So I think he's oh, he gets way over the top. He doesn't understand subtlety. That's that's my biggest problem with him. I think other other musicians, uh, other composers far outweigh John Williams when it comes to getting the subtlety of the moment. I don't know that I necessarily agree with you, but you are right that he definitely uses a number of themes in the movies he scores, and I think he's totally appropriate when dealing with um, complete fantasies like this one yeah. and other elaborate, fantastic stories like the original Superman. Um, but oh, if yeah. you check out the remake of Sabrina, very subtle score by John Williams and so beautiful. Yes, agreed. it will just take you to paradise. Yes. Uh, Sabrina, is that the one with Harrison Ford? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that that's a pretty decent film, and I didn't realize he had scored that. Uh, yes, and the soundtrack is phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. Well, I, I think you. I, I think most people uh, either like John Williams or they don't. I, I I'm in the camp uh, where. I like his main themes, and I don't like his scores. If, you don't if you like how what they I'm were saying. inserted into his movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yeah. There's exceptions to that, of course. I mean, I, I, I think there will never be, uh, just as an instance, another Superman theme that will work as well. I, I, I really think that that will, if, if they don't, and I don't think they're going to use it in the new Superman movie, and I think that will be a mistake. I think that is Superman's theme, no matter what version of Superman you're doing. So mm-hmm. I think I he's very that. good at that. Yes. I, I completely agree. I give you that much for sure. And so. Jurassic Park? Oh, yeah. I yeah. Mean, in, in fact, at times in Jurassic Park, there might be moments when I would almost agree with you there, TJ, but I have to agree more so with Lindsay that I enjoy his theme so much that I am very willing to forgive him for <laughs> um, misplacing a tune here and there because sometimes you're coming across a dull moment or, a, you know, I mean, think about. Uh, 
a, a classic example of the effectiveness of John Williams' score in Star Wars was when Luke is out there watching the suns go down. Oh, yeah, that's Luke's theme. No, I totally it, agree. That's a great theme. It's essentially Luke's theme, and isn't it also tie in a little bit of the Force theme? Yes. Um, okay. It's known as Ben's theme and as the Force theme. Okay, that's actually okay. Yeah, that's and not as the Luke's theme. Theory. I don't oh, know. It's everyone's not. theme. <laughs> it's all the Jedi, the Jedi theme. Okay. Yeah, it's it's mostly Luke's theme. I, I do think there's tones of it for the Force for sure. Um, okay. I don't know. I because, didn't know. I didn't know that Ben had a th- that Kenobi had a theme, but well, I used to have this boxed uh, CD set of Star Wars music, um, and it called it Ben's theme slash the Force theme. That's what it called it. Perhaps okay, I'm, I'm pulling up iTunes right now. <laughs> But Go this ahead, was a, like a really old box set. We're, we're running into the uh, limitations of Skype. I didn't mean to talk over you. Go ahead. Yeah, but yeah, I think that probably what happened was the tune evolved over the course of all the various scores. Because I remember coming up again and again, I think eventually it was called the Skywalker theme. Uh, but I don't know. I think it also appeared at times in the prequels when it didn't have much to do with Anakin. Um, so whatever. But yeah, it was that particular moment with the two suns setting that r- the music really makes the scene, right? Um, oh gosh, that's my favorite Star Wars scene. Yeah, down. yeah, it's just oh, there's no, that there, that is especially the most iconic one with Luke in it. Yeah, I mean, uh, not to you know short him a good lightsaber duel every now and then, but he doesn't have any good ones. <laughs> so. All right. Well, Lindsay, is there anything specifically you want to talk about about this film? Um, wow. I'm going to put you on the spot. I love it um, (laughs) passionately and I love everything about it. And I told Joe this in beforehand, like yesterday or whenever when we were talking, I probably cannot look at it objectively, hardly at all. Oh, it's hard to with a film like this. It's like, mm, I mean, I literally was in love with it. So, um, and I still love it very, 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 very much. Um, and so I don't have anything bad to say. <laughs> now, this film had uh, uh, an actor known for his B-movies, uh, Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin. How, mm-hmm. did, how did you feel about him? I, <laughs> I thought he was uh, very despicable and, um, and therefore did his part well. Because <laughs> you really, I mean, you, I almost felt like I hated his character more than Darth Vader, even though yes. Darth Vader was the scarier one. He was just like so cold and ugh. You know, Whereas yeah. Darth Vader was kind of like angry and mean, but as, as strange perfect. as it seems, uh, I, Darth Vader had not found his place in this universe in the first film at all. He's a, he's an entirely Ooh. different character than he is in uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Very very different. He yells sometimes, which he never does in the other two films, um, and he's kind of like. And Tarkin was kind of his boss or something. Yeah, I never quite understood how that was supposed to work. Like, Vader is a uh, apprentice to the Emperor, and he's a Sith, and yet uh, Tarkin's in charge, and as, as Leia says, holding his leash? What what does that mean? I never got that. <laughs> yeah, that was weird. I never thought about it before. But These, by weird. the way, Joe, we were talking about our star ratings before the show started. This, by the way, is why this film does not get a five-star rating from me, mm. is, is, is errors like these. They're just not quite thought well thought through. Uh, I always figured that it was because Vader had a different motivation during that time. Uh, when it came to the Empire Strikes Back, he was on a, a personal mission to somehow salvage a piece of his family. 
And so for that reason, he was controlling his anger in a different way, and he was targeting different people, right? Yeah, but in in Empire... Yeah, he had reasons to have secrets, personal secrets that he was trying to withhold from the Emperor for uh, the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. With A New Hope, he was more his natural self without any uh, issue for personal gain. So he was just going about his business as an evil, creepy apprentice. <laughs> and so if he, if he lashed out in a weird way and he wanted to choke to death somebody by hand versus choking to death somebody you know, by force, then <laughs> there you go. That, that's why he was who he was in the A New, a new Hope. But in Empire, it's very obvious that he is the supreme commander right under the emperor of everything. But in, right. in Star Wars, he's, like, not. Like, why wouldn't he be? Oh, I don't get it, it. I think it makes ultimate sense because, well, sure Grand Moff Tarkin, <laughs> Grand, Grand Moff Tarkin was one of the guys in, uh, what was it, Revenge of the Sith, who was already working under uh, Palpatine in another capacity as a younger man. But he already had established himself as a military officer, whereas, um, you know, Darth Vader, he's just the apprentice, right? He's there for special missions. He's master of none, but he's given license to do the Emperor's dirty work. So Tarkin is a member of the system. He controls the Death Star. That is his he – gover- he is governor of that domain. So that's why he was the top dog as he was on the Death Star. Whenever Vader was on the Death Star, he would have to obey Tarkin's orders. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah, and, and you that think – makes you- sense. You think a Sith would be okay with obeying people's orders? As long as he was the apprentice to Emperor Palpatine, yeah. Okay. You and I shall disagree. I, I think it's just a discrepancy that wasn't well thought through. Mm. Yeah, I, and, and, you know, I think I'm actually filling in some of the gaps that didn't quite add up. But I, then again, I think we're getting too deep into the meta here, honestly. This is too much inside <laughs> baseball I, well, for I mean, this particular film. This whole film is inside baseball, though, isn't it? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> it's not. Okay, well, what, think what, about it. what would you like to talk about, Joe? Uh, well, I mean, we're, we're in the matter of talking about some of our likes, um, ultimately, I think, right? Um, so well, let's talk about some of our likes for a change, shall we? <laughs> um, uh I, I already had it in my notes, Lindsay, and you stole it from me, the Skywalker theme. That uh, in particular stands out to me in this uh, particular film. I've, I've always enjoyed the Star Wars main title theme, but not like some of the other powerful themes. I think that the Skywalker theme is to the good guys what the Imperial March is to the bad guys. And mm-hmm. it's not talked about enough, but I think that everybody recognizes it. It's just not as easy to whistle. You know, and yeah. so it's it's not something that people quickly recall until they're engrossed into the film. Um, other things I really super appreciate about this film. First off, here, a lot of people talk about this film as though it were just a piece of pop culture. It is a melting pot of other ideas taken from older films that predated it, and Lucas just had fun throwing together some of his favorite moments in films and he created this thing that voila by accident turned out to be a great film i i kind of disagree with that i think that there was some sense of good art direction in this particular film for, from lucas and that yes he may have borrowed many concepts from other films and, and you know flash gordon and you know other things that he enjoyed but but he remixed them really effectively here and why this stands out is because Star Wars amplifies the viewer's imagination like no other film series that I've ever seen. 
It urges you to see things that weren't there and to expand on the creative galaxy of possibilities. I mean, you just you perceive that there is so much to the story that you didn't even see, but you want to believe in, and you flesh it out with your own imagination. But he sparked that with this first film in Star Wars. When you get to the prequels, on you know, in contrast, I want to mention this because in contrast, the prequels don't do this for you much at all. They want to show you everything, so they leave very little to the imagination. So your imagination doesn't work all that much. And though you may enjoy moments of the film and all, you don't get into it like you get into this particular movie in the Star Wars series. I think this gets into something that I've talked about before and that we would have been talking about tonight had we talked about The Wrath of Khan, which is sometimes limitations in filmmaking make you more creative. And I think that Lucas in the pre- with the prequels just had way too much at his fingertips. And uh, yeah, I, I think sometimes it makes for a lesser film. The limit less is more sometimes. Mm-hmm. So mm. I, yeah. I don't I don't disagree. Um, another thing that I hugely appreciate are the awesome sound effects. Uh, I think that, that Ben Burt totally deserved that special award. Every time I come to this film, when I'm listening to R2-D2, you know, beeps and bloops and the, the silly Jawas and their funny little voices and other great little sound effects, like even think about even down to Luke's land speeder in a subtle way. Luke's land speeder looked like a sports car without wheels. So that made it look all the cooler. Mm. But when you listen to Luke's land speeder, the sound effect it produces, it sounds a little off kilter and just a little bit uh, cheap for a motor engine, which <laughs> tells you something is actually kind of uh, lacking about Luke's land speeder. Yes, it looks like a sports vehicle, but it's actually a little banged up. It's a little rough on the edges, and Luke probably got it, you know, pretty dirt cheap. <laughs> you know, <it's> something <laughs> about the sound tells you so much more about the vehicle than so many other um, vehicles or sound effects had told you about a film and its details up to the time of 1977. Post-1977, you see sound effects taking a much more key role in films and, and especially blockbuster films in general. Um... <laughs> Uh, one of the moments I'm very fond of is when uh, Vader started to choke death that white supremacist on the Death Star because <laughs> it was it oddly enough it was actually the first time you you are witnessing the power of the Force of any kind. Mm-hmm. So when you see that happen, if you're not familiar with the moment, or even when you are familiar with the moment, it's kind of chilling, and you are thoroughly convinced. That somehow this is actually happening. You, you, you can't quite explain why, but you get wrapped up into the moment and you believe that somehow this is happening when really it's just two guys on a, on a set, right? One of them is sitting down. The other guy is just standing there with his hand outstretched and somehow the invisible force is this guy who's pretending that he's getting choked to death, right? Um, and yet that moment, which seems so preposterous really works so that you're convinced by the the invisible force presence it works great for the narrative it does you know what's interesting to me is that all these uh imperial guys all had british accents and most (laughs) of them were british yeah absolutely dirt cheap actors back in 1977 yeah that's what lucas was looking for to make budget Um, I, I, it yeah, did lend a, like a certain dignity to it, though. It made it seem oh, like yeah. sure, made sure. them austere, dignified, and I don't know. 
Definitely. No, I'm not. I, I just thought it was funny. It's like, man, these, I did, the, the, the British, the British uh, accent is a thing back in the far, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> yeah. So. Big thing. So uh, just, uh, I'll run through these really quick. Okay. Um, I loved the scale of the Death Star. Even now, when they're approaching it in the Millennium Falcon, you get this awe-inspired sense of dread. And it's just overwhelming how big the Death Star can be. And yet somehow it's able to make light speed, but we won't go there. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they kind of skirt around that issue. Like, all of a sudden it just shows up in another star system. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> and whenever it's in another star system, it has to be orbiting another planet in that star system. So apparently it doesn't just go mobile and park itself in the middle of space and go nowhere. <laughs> um, so, so then there is um, the jump to light speed. Well, for the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, it's it was, pretty awesome. It is. I mean, it's it's not very often that you see uh, a spaceship, a, a, I don't know, I don't know, for, for fictitious purposes, my suspension of disbelief is completely uh, a non-issue. Whenever I see the Millennium Falcon going to light speed, I'm kind of like, that is so awesome. Look at that. It's so realistic. Well, oh, wait a minute. We have no idea what that would actually look like. It's anyway. sort of interesting, though, right? I mean, because Star Trek is usually known for its science, and Star Wars is more known for its fantasy. But it, when it comes to light speed travel, I think Star Wars is much closer to what it might actually be. <laughs> or at least because, okay, way it well, no, feels but, to us. But think about it, because they have to make calculations to make sure that when they're traveling that fast, they don't fly through a star. It makes total sense, right? And in Star Trek, yeah. it, they don't have any of it. it just It's not well thought through in, in, in that way so i will definitely give star wars that um and then two other especially you know fun scenes uh, that i just love um the laser gun show as i call it on the prisoner level i, I just love the humor along, along during <laughs> while they're on the detention level a little um, short for ban- a stormtrooper aren't you <laughs> yeah all, all the banter on uh, for that segment was just fabulous yeah going all the way through the garbage shoot scene and when i was oh, a kid gosh, that yes. totally freaked me out as a kid get I was, in there i don't care what I you have, smell get in there oh but <laughs> while in the garbage shoot compactor i had serious cold sweat issues as a child uh, oh man it totally horrified me <laughs> What a wonderful smell you've discovered. <laughs> oh, and then there's that creepy monster thing. Like, what's up with that? And how did it get in there? I don't, I don't <laughs> More understand. More importantly, how did it get out? Like, it disappeared the second the compactor started, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I totally dig it. And so. I love in that scene, um, Han's conversation with the people that are calling in, like trying to figure out what's wrong. And he's like... We're uh, fine now. Everything's we're fine, fine. here. How are you? Everything's fine. How are you? <laughs> What's your operating yeah. number? Uh, you know, boring conversation anyway. Luke, we're going to have company. <laughs> That's another funny thing now that you mention it, uh, though you don't realize it. Um, I need to add this to my likes because um, this is actually probably the most quotable film of all the Star Wars films. Oh, probably. Definitely. Although there's, per- so there's plenty from Empire too. Yeah, I just as soon kiss a Wookiee. I can have that arranged. <laughs> um, oh yeah, I forgot that. But yeah, I, I yeah. think I think this probably does have the most quotable lines for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, Lindsay, do you have anything you'd like to talk about that you liked about this film? Hmm. Well, of course, I think I've already established that I like the whole thing, but um, or I love the whole thing, but um, the. The scene with the two setting suns, that's like my favorite scene of all time, which I already said. Yep. I love the whole um, rescuing Princess Leia, all of that, till they get off the Death Star. That whole scene is just amazing. 
Um, <laughs> you came in uh, that thing? You're braver than I thought. <laughs> uh, what? There was something else that... I pretty much just love the whole thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I love... It's so weird because it's like, I love Han. He's just, you know, this heart of gold inside the scruffy exterior and he's trying to be all, you know, cool, but he's not. And Leia's like a princess, but she's a fighter and she's not like a hoity toity princess. So <laughs> she's kind of the best of both worlds. And then Luke was the one, but Luke was always the one that I identified with. I identified with him being on this. I wasn't on a backwater planet, but you know, being in, in this place and dreaming of greatness somewhere far away and kind of just this melancholy. And mm. he was like the ideal idealist of the, but man, the three of them. He's so whiny though. I forgot how whiny he was in this film, but he's also a yeah. young kid and he's inexperienced and look at who raised him. Yeah, it's true. He gets better. He does. I mean, oh, he's sure, definitely better absolutely. in empire for sure. Yes. He gets better clothes as the movies go along too. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. true. Did you ever see some of the production, um, like the the pre principal photography uh, photo shoots that they did for Star Wars? They had uh, yeah, they uh, had this uh, they have this really funny picture. I came across it today with uh, Luke and Leia um, together, and it was like they were trying to figure out their costumes or something at this time. <laughs> so this is before they they filmed a new hope and they have luke in a black outfit interesting yeah huh. that, that, that would just be weird it is because he's got a totally weird looking expression and everything we got to get this up on the site man this is oh, can i share a photo on skype i don't know if it works well yeah i mean I'm, definitely put it in the notes and i'll get it if you find it and i'll get it in the show notes yeah i know i found it on rotten tomatoes it's really it's really awesome it's no. really unusual because it's like there it was. There was Luke's best outfit, and they had it before they did the whole thing on A New Hope, and then they totally lost it for two films. But it's interesting that his clothing progresses from white or off white in the first one to kind of like this midway brownish green color, and then in the end, he's wearing black. It's kind of like this loss of yeah. innocence or something. Yeah. I'm, I may be reading more into it. Oh, no, I, there, I, I totally agree. I think that uh, it's very clear that Luke was on the path of the dark side by the time he got to Return of the Jedi. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that's very clear. Um, so, But you don't get any of that here. I, you know, I don't even know that... that uh, I mean, I know that Luke has had plans and ideas for his next two films. I don't know that anybody thought that it would happen. So, you mm-hmm. know, he, he kind of had to plan for this to possibly be a one one-off film. Um, are you are you guys ready for me to burst your bubbles a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. I'm My ready to talk about some dislikes. Okay. I'm sorry, Lindsay. Yes, you are going to need to use a lot of force constraints here. <laughs> <laughs> Alec Guinness. I think he kind of phoned that phoned it in. I, I wasn't all that impressed with his uh, ability to shame perform. on you. I'm sorry. Oh, how I'm dare sorry. You could only see my face. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, I I didn't. It just wasn't that great. TJ, to me. how could you? But he, but he even got nominated for best supporting actor. That I know year he did. I know he did. I know. But I, I can't help it. I'm I'm not. Uh, I, I'm sorry to be so blasphemous. I'm not that crazy about Alec Guinness. Uh, I and I'm not a fan of the prequels, but I prefer. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm McGregor. McGregor's performance as uh, Obi Wan far better. My eyes are like. Oh. 
Oh, it's wow. just like the only redeeming yes. quality. The only redeeming quality of the prequels is Ian McGregor. Anyway, but but he looks like a saint compared to Carrie Fisher. And uh, Carrie Fisher does much better in Empire. <laughs> Carrie Fisher cannot act in this film whatsoever. I'm sorry. She just she she never sold me on her performance for a second. Everything was overacted and overdelivered. Um. You know, on the flip side, I think, you know, just so that I can try to redeem myself a little bit here, I think Han Solo, uh, um, Harrison Ford is, is great. He's awesome. Well, it's easy for you to, yeah, to agree with Han Solo. I mean, everybody loves Han. There's not been one person on planet Earth who ever disliked Han. Uh, there's probably a few. Uh, uh, you know, and of course, a shout there out. There are, you know, serial killers and rapists in the world. I'm sure they don't like Han. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I have to give a shout out to Anthony Daniels as C three PO. I mean, he's he's pretty oh, great. Oh gosh! And um, you know, I used to have a subscription to the Star Wars Insider, and it was a bi monthly magazine. And then in every other issue, Anthony Daniels would write an article, and it was always so hilarious. He is so funny; is just beyond belief. That was the best thing in the magazine, always. Yeah, I've I've kind of talked about my dislikes as we've gone, and and some of that, you know, is. <laughs> What? You what? just couldn't help yourself. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It, you know, it's the way it goes. Um, you know, the 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 music at times was a little trying. I mean, it was really great when it was great. It really worked, and when it didn't work, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was, you know, I think that's kind of usually my opinion of of a uh uh, uh not Spielberg, but <laughs> why did I say Spielberg? Williams? John Williams. Williams. John Williams, because he works with Spielberg all the time. Uh, it's usually my opinion of a John Williams scored film. It either works really well when it's working, or it doesn't work at all when it doesn't work. Well, do you so. know the story behind the soundtrack? Why they got John Williams in the first place? I don't. Tell us. Oh, oh, sweet. Okay, this is a nice little factoid. Um, actually, George Lucas had originally planned for all classical music. And Weird. he had chosen the music. He had inserted it into the movie. He knew what he wanted for from scene to scene, and he had all classical music in mind. I don't know what he had in mind for the cantina scene. It never made sense. <laughs> but that's what he himself said, and Spielberg um, vouched for it. He actually saw a cut of it himself with the classical music, and he told George, "This is insane. You can't do this." And uh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have anything else, right? For whatever reason, George was of the mind then that no composer could live up to this movie. And then Stephen said, <laughs> "That sounds like Lucas." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Stephen basically twisted his arm into giving John Williams a chance, and then John came up with the fanfare, and the rest is history, right? Because Lucas said, "Oh, okay. Well, well, um, okay, maybe you can do this." So mm-hmm. that's how it happened. Yeah, interesting. I'm not. I'm not done yet with my dislikes. But does anybody else oh, have any? Expect- does anybody else have any that they'd like to chime in with? I have a few. You go ahead. Okay. Um, I think the choreography of the uh, sword play is terrible. Like, Empire Strikes Back is far better, but this film the, the uh, with with uh, Obi-Wan and Vader, like, I didn't believe that for a second. That is just the stupidest sword fight I have ever seen. Well, the reason that it seems so awkward is that it is awkward. It seems like two guys who don't really know how to sword fight are pretending that they are sword fighting. And thankfully, bring, bring in if, a choreographer for crying out loud. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think they went too far the opposite direction with later films, but yeah. Oh, sure. Right. No, no doubt. But they kind of tried to make up for it in this film by showing as little of it as possible and showing shots of them fighting from a distance. And I think that that helped um, a little. 
And then part of my imagination always told me, well, the reason that these two guys are not really going to town at it now are because they remember, uh, they remember each other's fighting styles. And so remember the that last time you, that doesn't well, work well for me. Well, remember the last time these two guys went at it. I mean, the last time these two guys went at it, there was all kinds of crazy stuff that happened. <laughs> I well, mean, I, Anakin loses limbs like left and right. So I completely <laughs> agree with you that uh, that they went way too far in the prequels. Like, like the, the sword sword fighting didn't make any sense in the prequels. It, it looked like dance numbers in the prequels, right? But in, I think I think it was at its peak in Empire Strikes Back, and I had some quibbles with Return of the Jedi. But Empire Strikes Back, I think the the sword play between Vader and Luke is awesome. Here, it just com- falls completely flat and then sounds a sour note in the film. So I'm sorry, Ben. I, I I think you've given up on me. Are you still listening? <laughs> he's 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 uh, yelling bloody murder in the chat room at me. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm sorry. I, that's just the way I feel. I, it's just not my favorite of the Star Wars films by any stretch of the imagination. Well, what's interesting to me is that you take a, a big issue with some of the performances, and um, you know maybe it's because I grew up on the film. Maybe it's because I didn't. I don't know what my biases are. But, you know, I know that we're not talking like uh, Daniel Day-Lewis type performances here, but given the context, I always enjoyed most of the performances. In contrast to what you were saying about uh, Carrie Fisher, I feel the same way about Natalie Portman as her mother, that Natalie Portman could not perform as a queen of a foreign planet, uh, such as as she did. I don't think that she could play a convincing love interest with Anakin. And it just all went downhill when it hit Revenge of the Sith, and she seemed to be so irrational about everything. It was like, are you serious? You're supposed to be an important figure in the in the uh, the you know galactic you know what would they call it then republic? You're supposed to be this uh, super super sharp uh, young smart queen, and, and and here you just completely lost your mind, and you don't even have the dark side influencing you. Well, I I will say this. I, I think you're right on Natalie. Again, here we are talking about the prequels, and this is about Star Wars 4, but I'll just say this. Um, I think uh, that you're right about Natalie Portman when it comes to playing the Queen of Naboo. I don't care how if that scene had been – if any of those scenes had been written well, which they weren't, I don't think she could play the Queen of Naboo. I just don't think that worked very well. But conversely, I thought she was a far better in the next two films. Uh, if, 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 I, if there's anything redeeming about the films, as I said, it's Ian McGregor, and then secondly, possibly, is Portman in the second two prequels. Oh. Yeah. I, now, now, don't get me wrong. I don't think that Lucas can write love scenes, but I don't think that's her fault or, or Hayden Christensen's fault as, as much as I have problems with Hayden Christensen. <sighs> I think that the problems there are the writing, not the acting. But anyway. Well, That's, I came away with the pre- the prequels were the first thing that I had ever seen Natalie Portman in, and I had decided that she was a terrible actress. Oh, no, she's, she's actually really good. I know, and then later I saw her in other things, and I was like, no, she just sucks in Star Wars. <laughs> Nothing else. And I don't think she sucks in Star Wars, but anyway. And I think Samuel Hayden- Jackson also, I mean, I love Samuel L. Jackson in almost everything else I've seen him in. He's one of my favorite actors. Um and he was weird in Star Wars too. I was just like, this does not work. On, on that note too, um, all things considered, although I really enjoy Alec Guinness in this film, it doesn't seem like it's his best performance by far. Well, thank he you, has Joseph. Many excellent other roles he's played in his filmography. I'm telling you, I, I just felt like it was completely phoned in. Like he, I, I don't think he believed in what he was making. 
I know he actually rose to the challenge that um, based on various bits and pieces I know of the making of the film, he he did his best to actually improve upon the story, the screenplay, and various scenes when he was working with Lucas. Um, he actually had an influence on some of the screenwriting. So it's probably no wonder that it seems he – perhaps it was because he was thinking too hard about it that perhaps you're, you're picking up on some of his vibe. But, you know, uh, speaking of Alec Guinness, he, we can actually thank him for calling them lightsabers. George oh. Lucas was originally going to call them laser swords, and that, was, and, and that was in the screenplay. And Alec Guinness said, uh, "Lucas, let's work on this. This this uh, this isn't cutting the mustard." So, uh, if for no other reason, I'm very appreciative of Alec's contribution for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know, my laser rem- swords. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. My remaining dislike. Uh, well, I have a few of them, but I'll just mention a couple here. Um, Really, I guess it's just this one that's a big one to me. It's a major, huge plot problem. I, I know it's fantasy and you got to give it some room, but uh, the Death Star uh, just showing up at planets, like it's not equipped <laughs> in a way to move at light speed that we can tell. And yet it just shows up at planets. And, okay, now it has to uh, go into orbit to around Yavin 4 to get to the moon. Why, why wouldn't it just blow the thing up and it, get it out of the way and then blow up the, the moon? Or I I just don't understand. Like, we have to wait 30 minutes to get around this planet. We could just blow it up, but no, we're going to wait and let the the, the fighters come and destroy the thing. (laughs) Yeah. When Honest Trailers does their their trailer for this film, they need to address that. Yeah. (laughs) I I think they already have. I don't know if they addressed that or not, but I think they already have all the Star Wars films, how it should have... uh, Oh, no, no. I'm thinking of how it should have ended, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the how it should have ended, by the way, for Empire Strikes Back is awesome and should be watched. But we'll talk about that in an upcoming episode in a couple months when we talk about Empire. Well, um, I, I guess I'll just quickly run through my very minor dislikes because they, they're all minor, to be honest. They're, uh, these are nitpicky things, and mostly they have to do with my issue with some of the things Lucas felt he needed to change with his special editions. While he ignored other things, I thought that he he should have taken into consideration for change, right? Um, it seemed like oftentimes he was adding to the film things that were completely unnecessary and uh, then leaving behind glaring issues with the visual effects. Um, it, considering All things considered, right? Glaring compared to his other films. Even by the time you get to The Return of the Jedi, things were far superior than some things in the original film. Like the lightsaber blades, uh, it seemed that they were just very sketchy and in the raw. Like they said, we'll take whatever we can get in terms of making the glow aura from around these blades. Um, if he wanted to work on that, let him go ahead, fix those lightsaber blades, do something trivial like that. Don't, don't change things like Han shooting first, you know, uh, doctor up the visual effects to look a bit more authentic and completely realistic. So those are the kinds of things that are most of my dislikes. Um, Luke uses some binoculars that are mechanical on tattooing. And whenever he's looking through the viewer, you can see what he's seeing. And they look like bad VHS tapes with a blue screencast over them and some hazy static and noise from the playback on VHS VCR. 
Uh, that's what it looks like for his binoculars, and that doesn't look very tech-ish at all by today's standards, and it just looks bizarre, right, considering comparisons to things he put in the prequels. Um, things like that, why did he fix that to make that look a little bit more techy? I mean, come on, and do work on these little minor things that don't make an impact to the rest of the story. Um, but perhaps the most obvious one of all is when the rebels are in their rebel base on uh, planet Yavin. And they're planning their attack on the Death Star when it arrives. Um, actually, it wasn't the planet Yavin. It was on one of the moons. The moons. Orbiting the planet Yavin. Okay. All right. Sorry, I had to say that so we didn't get a bunch of evil <laughs> fan mail. Um, okay, so when they're, when they're looking at the technical readouts of the Death Star, they have this video demo of what the Death Star kind of looks like to show <laughs> to the fighter pilots. It's pretty pathetic. And it's absurd. It's totally pathetic. It, it looks really bad. Um, and you, know, uh, the only, you know, contrived excuse that I can muster for it is that well, the Rebel Alliance was just really bad off. They didn't have much in the way of like CG <laughs> well, computer animated effects, and so that, all that they had was that to you know to demonstrate to the fire pilots. That and I always ch- attributed that to. That's one of the things I can forgive. I attributed that to well, they're in a galaxy far, far away. And their technology has evolved differently from ours. There's advanced in ways that ours isn't, and ours is advanced in ways that theirs isn't. That's all, of course, completely blown out of the water by the prequels. But. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and again, so that's my, my, the reason I take issue with it. It's like, well, Lucas, you're really annoying me here. You want to go in and make Darth Vader say stuff that he shouldn't while he's throwing Palpatine to his death. But over here, you have something that's completely... Um, benign to the overall story that you should have fixed. That's a glaring issue because yeah. you're a man of known for your visual effects. Why <laughs> yeah. didn't you just deal with your visual effects? So I'd much rather he had dealt with that and left things that pertain to the actual story alone. <laughs> That's my major dislike. And again, I, I'm probably saying that for the most part because I live with special editions. I don't care to go back to the original because there's some of the special effects that I, I really enjoy. I think that they add to this film. So I would hate to lose them. And that's why I'll suffer through some of the things that I just think are inconsistencies. Yep. All right. We, we've been going for an hour and a half. Does anybody have any final words they would like to add? <sighs> um, has it ever bothered anyone that we don't know who, what R2-D2's eyeballs are? <laughs> no no okay. but it did bother me that r2d2 had way more gadgets in the prequels that he didn't have in the regular ones that was stupid well we've been talking about the prequels too much we like to pretend those don't exist <laughs> i know they don't exist because r2 could fly and he could do all this crazy stuff i'm like if he could do that in the original ones and they would just could have said r2 you fix this yeah you just kill the empire for us <laughs> <laughs> yeah Joe? Um, I, I guess I'll say more in my written review. <laughs> People can take their time to read my, my three-hour-long review. <laughs> okay. So it will come as no surprise then that, uh, that I rate this film lower than you, Joe. I, I give it three and a half of five stars because it's a decent film, and I like to watch it every once in a while, and it's part of the Star Wars trilogy, uh, and I love the Star Wars trilogy as a whole. So I give it three and a half of five stars. And I recommend people watch it. It's a good film to watch. There are no swear words in Star Wars that I can rain down on you right now, man. This is really killing me. <laughs> Sispawn. Yeah. What do you, what do you, yeah. <laughs> what do you rate it, Joe? You nerf herder. <laughs> <laughs> I give it five for five, dude. 
I mean, it, it's uh, it, it, no film is perfect, and the issues I take with it are so ridiculously minor. They they only impact like a second worth at a time of the entirety of the film. And for the for the story for the characters, I feel like I know and love, and I love to see time and again. I, I want to go back and watch this movie at least every other year, if not more frequent than that. And I don't want to watch it too much. It's not like I'm some, you know. Okay, I am a nutty person, but the thing is, I don't want to watch it too frequently because, in fear that I'll ruin it and I'll get used to it, and then it won't be as interesting to me anymore. So I savor it and I (laughs) I space it out, space out my viewings every time I come back to it. I love it just as much as I ever did, and uh, from beginning to end. You're weird, and and for the record, I mean, I rated The Matrix five of five stars. Uh, so I'm not afraid to rate a movie five or five stars. Uh, I just uh, don't feel like this one's worthy of that. I, I don't even think Empire is worthy of five of five stars, much as I love Empire Strikes Back. Uh, but, uh, Lindsay, what would you rate it? Well, I'm going to have to go with a different type of rating because, like I said before, I don't feel there are some things that I am not objective about at all. So I'm going to give it five out of five hearts. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. <laughs> Very good. And just for the record, The Matrix would also get five out of five hearts. But not five out of five stars. Well, I, don't, I can't do stars. I don't know that stuff. I'm not a very, <laughs> I'm not a critic-y type person. Okay. All right. So, well, I just want to remind everyone that there is a, such a thing out there called Machete Order. And if you ever have the opportunity to read this article, I highly recommend it. Uh, it is... Uh, it's a great take on how to view the Star Wars universe and, and to somewhat include the prequels, even though we kind of hate them. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm going to put that in the show notes. Uh, I love this first comment on Machete Order. Uh, this The very first comment on this article is, this one post is why the internet was invented. I thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Star Wars Machete Order, make sure you read that. Uh, that goes right along with everything we've been talking about. Um, oh, and I should probably mention, I'm actually going to watch it for the first time in the Machete Order uh, in about a week okay. with, uh, with all my siblings. So, yeah, it's high time that we all sat down and watched these films together. We never have. And I, th- I told the guys about half a year ago, guys, we have got to do this or we're just not family anymore <laughs> <laughs> and so i uh, finally nailed down a date and i've been trying to do it every month since but we finally nailed down a date and we're going to watch them in the machete order okay i'm probably going to watch machete order as we do these reviews like the next film obviously will be empire and then between empire and when we do jedi i probably will watch the uh two prequels that we pretend might kind of exist so <laughs> we'll hide um, url for their our reviews of those films on the site and only people who know how to hack into the website can get them if they i care. i have no intention of writing reviews for those two films oh okay never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and don't intend to talk about them and dedicate a, a, an episode to them i mean we'll talk well, about we, them as well, we, we have could, then we could always ask <laughs> of our our very dear friend uh, fans that hates them to write the review for us since we don't even bother, want to bother to yeah, it's not, and it's not like, uh, for instance, I would give, um, uh, what's the second one called, Attack of the Clones. It's not like I would rate it like really badly. I'd probably give it two and a half of five, but it's just not. I mean, the the, the very first one, Phantom Menace, I would give one of five, but you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there you go. That's Star Wars, the first of our favorite fun futon film for February uh, films. So. <laughs> And uh, let me mention, too, if you want to know what's coming up on the schedule, you can go to moviebyte.com slash futon 
And uh, that's where you will find out more information. We'd love for you, too, to share that page with people. We want people to know and get excited about uh, favorite fun futon films for February. Uh, And so next week, we're going to be talking about Hook. And we will – oh, we had a guest, and he was not able to make it. Is that right, Joe? So we're still thinking about that. Yeah, we're working on it. Okay. And uh, all right. So that kind of wraps up the uh, talk about Star Wars. Lindsay, uh, where can people keep up with uh, what you do on the Internet? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a Facebook? I do. It's uh, facebook.com slash Jade Halo, Jade with two A's. Okay. I'm weird. <laughs> All right. Uh, Joe, where can people keep up with you on the internet? Um, I'll just go ahead and say Twitter. Yeah, I'm uh, Joseph Darnell on Twitter. And my website, Jiving Jackalope, and find my reviews of movies on moviebyte.com. All right. I am TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Uh, Facebook.com slash TJ Draper on Facebook. Uh, obviously, uh, most of the writing and work that I do is on moviebyte.com. I do occasionally write on buzzingpixel.com as well. Uh, so that's where you can find me. I'm, I'm all over all those places. So uh, good episode, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us, Lindsay. Uh, we'll Thank you for having me. Have, yeah, we'll look forward to have you back sometime in the future. Thanks, Joe. May the force be with you always. Yes. Yes. <laughs>